Welcome to Goodfellow Podcasts. This episode is kindly supported by the Auckland Faculty of the Royal New Zealand College of General Practitioners. I'm Rachel Jones, a GP, and today I'm talking to Dr. Giriyaj Singh Shakawat about tinnitus. Raj is an audiologist and speech-language pathologist. His research explores novel ways to manage tinnitus, including neuromodulation and sound therapy. He is the Public Relations Manager for Tinnitus Research Initiative, a non-profit foundation dedicated to developing effective treatments for all types of tinnitus. Welcome, Raj. Thank you so much, Rachel, for having me. So can you set the scene with a definition of tinnitus? Tinnitus or tinnitus is defined as a constant, annoying, ringing, buzzing, hissing sound in the absence of its external sound source. So basically, it's a phantom perception of sound. So what's the difference between subjective and objective forms of this symptom? Well, subjective tinnitus is defined as a condition when only the patient or the sufferer can perceive the tinnitus. And majority of the tinnitus is subjective in nature. You know, however, in some rare cases, the tinnitus is generated by structures in or around the ear loud enough so that the tinnitus is perceived by the examiner as well, such as a spasm of middle ear muscle or increase or turbulent blood flow in the blood vessels near the ear, resulting in objective tinnitus. Now, objective tinnitus is very rare. So how common is tinnitus overall? Now, tinnitus is a very common condition. 15 to 20% of the world population suffers from some form of tinnitus. If we look at United States, there are 50 million people who suffer from some form of tinnitus, and out of them, 16 million of them suffer from frequent tinnitus. If you look at New Zealand, there are more than 400,000 people who suffer from some form of tinnitus, and its prevalence is likely to be doubled by 2050. So, as I said, it's a very common condition. And what impact can it have on a person's life? Well, majority of the people will always experience tinnitus in some stage in their life. Now, that could be after, say, a loud concert, after a crazy night out in a club, a whiplash, after a stressful event in their life. However, the good thing is, for most of them, the tinnitus disappears or resolves on its own, and it is not a problem. However, one in 10 tinnitus sufferers, it lingers on and it can be catastrophic for them when it starts interfering in their day-to-day -day life and they may experience difficulty in sleeping, difficulty in concentration, um, anger, frustration and stuff like that. So that may have an overall negative impact on their quality of life, Rachel. What factors increase an individual's risk for developing tinnitus? Now, majority of the times, tinnitus is associated with some form of hearing damage or hearing loss. Now, so all the factor which increases the person's risk for hearing damage can be linked with tinnitus as well. So my advice would be, be careful in terms of exposing yourself to loud sounds. Now, that could be after a loud concert or um, say maybe your work environment is such that it exposes you to loud noises. So make sure you're using hearing protection devices. So try and save your hearing. 
So what are the causes of tinnitus? And I'm interested to know, do any of these causes correlate to specific symptoms and signs, Raj? Tinnitus can be linked with several causes, Rachel. It could be something as simple as obstruction in the ear. For example, if there's impacted ear wax or foreign object in the ear canal, loose hair in the ear canal, or even head congestion. Um, so all of these factors can be linked to, to tinnitus as well. And sometimes you see that if it is related to one of these factors, and say when the ear wax is removed, the person stops perceiving tinnitus. So it could be as simple as that. And there could be several other factors, such as hearing loss. As I mentioned, it is a very, very common um, associated factor along with tinnitus. Now, it could be a sudden hearing loss, or it could be age-related hearing loss as well. And there are some other factors as well, such as um, head and neck trauma. And uh, because these traumas can cause issues with the nerves, blood flow, and the muscle issues, and they can be linked to tinnitus. And the tinnitus which is caused by a head and neck trauma is usually called somatic tinnitus. Uh, as you know, the word somatic is derived from Greek word, which means of the body. And the typical characteristic of such type of tinnitus is that there's a lot of variation in the tinnitus. And another very common cause is uh, temporomandibular joint dysfunction, or we commonly call it as TMJ. Now, TMJ is a joint where the lower jaw connects with the skull and it's located right in front of the ears. Now, TMJ is adjacent to auditory system and it shares some ligaments and nerve connections with middle ear structures. And damage to these muscles, ligaments, or cartilage in TMJ can result in tinnitus. Now, the interesting thing here is, so if the person is having tinnitus due to TMJ dysfunction, a common question you can ask them is, does your tinnitus vary when you move your jaw? And if the answer is yes, there's high possibility that the tinnitus is linked with the TMJ dysfunction. And of course, there are several medical conditions such as uh, traumatic brain injury, autotoxicity, um, acoustic neuroma or vestibular schwannomas, Meniere's disease, having high blood pressure, thyroid issues, and even things like anemia and psychiatric conditions such as anxiety, stress, all of them can be linked with tinnitus as well, Rachel. So you've just mentioned one very good question to ask a patient, but in general, what salient questions do we need to be asking? Now, I think the most important thing we need to keep in mind when we see a person with tinnitus is to get a very good detailed case history. And when you're listening to some of the concerns patient is sharing, you can most likely to be able to draw some sort of association between what can be the potential cause for them. As I mentioned, so if you are asking them questions such as, does your tinnitus vary when you move the jaw? That could give you a potential pointer that it may be related to TMJ. And things like when you do the otoscopic evaluation and you see there's impacted wax in the ear canal, addressing that, and if that is resolving the tinnitus, that was probably a simplistic cause of tinnitus and things like that. So your must-do tips when examining the patient. Um, a lot of us tend to just focus on the ear and that may be um, appropriate depending on what we think the cause might be, but um, should we be looking at other um, systems of the body as well? Absolutely, by all means, Rachel. The important thing to remember is tinnitus is a symptom. 
it's not a disease and as we discussed before there can be series of reasons and conditions which can be linked with tinnitus and to complicate things even further um, tinnitus is a unique condition no two people with tinnitus have exactly same profile in terms of tinnitus in terms of their hearing and in terms of other factors as well so it becomes extremely important to have a holistic picture in mind and uh, to pursue all these lines of investigation to see how you can um, uniquely serve that patient and how you can address some of those conditions. So what red flags warrant a referral to um, ENT? Now I think um, if you are seeing the patient and after doing the otoscopy you see that uh, um, either they have uh, recurrent ear infections or they have issues such as sinus or they're explaining you things such as barotrauma and things like that would probably be good enough factors to referring them to an ENT. Another interesting thing would be if you think that there's a concern about their hearing, usually the pathway uh, is through the ENT there as well. And what about unilateral symptoms? Should we be more wary of those? Oh, absolutely. Now, as I said previously in the causes of tinnitus, that it could be associated with the, the tumor of the auditory nerve as well. So to rule out that, it'll be important to refer the person to the ENT so that the further medical investigations can be conducted as well. But when you are doing that, it's important to make sure that we are not alarming the patient, you know. We are not telling them straight away that it is because of that, you know, until that is being explored further. That's good advice. So talk us through any first-line investigations we might perform in primary care, Raj. Well, I think according to my experience, the best thing would be to take a detailed case history and, and try and see if you can associate some of the causes we discussed before with their tinnitus. And the second important thing is to try and address patients' concern. Like uh, sometimes when somebody is getting tinnitus, it can be quite alarming for them and they don't know why this is happening and sometimes their mind go racing in all different directions like to give you an example three weeks back i got a call in the middle of the night from singapore a friend of mine who is a musician he called me up saying that you know raj i'm hearing tinnitus from two days and i think as a result of that i might lose my hearing and then i'll not be able to perform and you know it he just created the whole detailed scenario of the possibilities and the thing is as I said before the tinnitus is something which you might experience and most of the time it just resolves on its own so to sit and listen to patients concern and and objectively resolving them can be very helpful first line of intervention as well and after taking a detailed case history and listening to their concern it is also important then to refer them in the right direction based on what you have um, investigated and what you have found from them. And that leads me on to asking does everyone with tinnitus need an audiology referral? Most of the people who have tinnitus, as I mentioned before, will have some form of hearing damage. And if we want to investigate that further, then definitely they would require some sort of, some sort of an audiological reference as well. And if, say, 
uh, to give you an example, if somebody is into their late 50s or early 60s, then they have some form of a hearing loss already because of aging or because of their work environment, and they started experiencing tinnitus as well, it would be a good idea to refer them to an audiologist there so that the audiologist can perform detailed hearing evaluation um, based on um, the, their hearing profile if a hearing aid is needed or some other audiological interventions from tinnitus which are available, they can probably offer them those. So in those cases, it would be really nice to refer them to an audiologist. So is there a cure for tinnitus? Now that's a question everyone asks me wherever I go. And answer to that question is, unfortunately, we don't have a cure for tinnitus yet. So the search for the magic bullet is still on. Having said that, in the past decade, there has been a lot of advancement in our understanding about tinnitus and its management options. So it's, it'll be really good for us to educate ourselves for these options so that we can help the tinnitus patient as much as we can. How do we communicate to our patient realistic prognosis and longer term symptomatic management? Because this person is probably at their wits end with a ringing in their ears. No, absolutely. Um, the thing is, uh, it depends what sort of uh, patient has come to you and what sort of symptoms they are presenting to you. If you see on one extreme that they are, they are someone who have just started experiencing tinnitus and they're not that worried about it, in those clients, it'll be important to explaining them that tinnitus is a very common condition. A lot of people experience tinnitus and often it results on it on its own. Tinnitus per se cannot make them deaf or tinnitus itself, you know, cannot harm them too much, you know. So it's extremely important to give them that right information about what tinnitus is, how tinnitus is caused, which will put them at ease with it. However, if you are encountering patients who are extremely stressed and sometimes you may um, on other uh, spectrum of the extreme you might find somebody who is almost suicidal. So if you are seeing those sort of clients, it's very strongly recommended that you refer them to the appropriate medical professional straight away. So can you outline your key learning points for managing tinnitus? And if we sort of hone down into subjective neurophysiological tinnitus rather than tinnitus caused by, let's say, impacted earwax. And can we start with looking at lifestyle measures, Raj? Rachel, I think general wellness is extremely important, not only for tinnitus, but in general as well, you know, for our overall quality of life. Now, general wellness may not directly impact the person's tinnitus, However, that can actually make living with tinnitus much more easier. For example, our diet, physical activity, our social engagement, relaxation, med meditation, hearing protection, all these things can really help someone to cope with tinnitus in a much, much better way. So moving on to psychological interventions, and I'm thinking about things like cognitive behavioral therapy and tinnitus retraining therapy, is there actually an evidence base to suggest that these therapies work? Now, I'm glad you asked me this question because these therapies such as CBT or TRTs, they fall under this umbrella term called behavioral therapies and they target at the person's behavior or their emotional reaction to tinnitus. And the rationale of using these therapies is that the severity of tinnitus is defined by its emotional toll, not its acoustic characteristics. 
So they basically focus on how the patient can be retrained to respond to the tinnitus sound perception. And, if, and they also have counseling as an integral part of them. So if done well, they can definitely make the person at ease with their tinnitus. Mm. Can pharmacology play a role in symptom management? Um, I think it definitely can. However, having said that, we still don't have any FDA-approved drug for tinnitus treatment yet. And there are several psychoactive drugs such as antidepressants or anti-anxiety medications which can treat the behavioral issues related to tinnitus. Now, they may not have a direct impact on tinnitus per se. However, they can modulate the emotional and psychological burden associated with tinnitus for some patients. So, but the interesting thing to keep in mind would be that not all drugs are effective for all patients. And of course, they can have some undesired side effects as well. More and more patients are asking uh, about alternative and complementary therapies, not just for tinnitus, but um, for many medical conditions. But for tinnitus, are these of proven benefit? So I'm thinking of things like acupuncture, yeah. yoga, tai chi. Yeah, if, if you go on internet and type tinnitus cure, mm -hmm. you would see a lot of these things pop up there. Um, however, unfortunately, there's no strong scientific evidence supporting their effectiveness. So things like we just mentioned, like acupressure, acupuncture, Ayurvedic, and other forms of uh, options, people might claim they can be really, really helpful. But based on my understanding, they do lack strong scientific support supporting their benefits. So I would be very cautious before using them, Rachel. Now, your research is all in tinnitus management. So what latest advantage and novel approaches um, with managing tinnitus should GPs be aware of? Um, well, my research passion lies in using non-invasive brain stimulation and various forms of sound therapies for tinnitus management. Um, now, the brain stimulation techniques which I've been using uh, from past uh, five, six years um, are uh, very simplistic. They involve using these microelectrodes which you place on various target area of the head and deliver mild electric current to the person's head. Now I know it may sound so crazy that you're almost electrocuting someone but that's not the case. All these techniques have been proven to be totally non-invasive, painless and um, uh, they don't have any strong side effects. Um, hundreds of patients have undergone these techniques and what I found in my research so far is neuromodulation techniques can be helpful in transient tinnitus suppression and the focus of my f research now is the ways in which we can convert this transient or short-lasting relief into a longer-lasting one. So there's a lot happening there as well. I'm collaborating with my international partners from all over the world. I've got collaborations with uh, research labs in Australia, United States, England, Germany, Poland, Belgium, and we are trying to come up with ways in which we could take this step further and see if we can convert these short-lasting impacts into longer-lasting ones. So I'll be very happy to provide you with the, the link of my recent publications. In fact, one of my paper just came on this weekend. So interested listeners can go through them and I'll be very happy to answer if any questions they may have. 
Thank you, Raj. So in conclusion, your take-home messages for the people listening today. Well, my take-home message would be, guys, our hearing is very, very precious. And the important thing there is, once it's damaged, there's no way we could restore it back. So it's extremely important to look after it as well as possible, you know. Often you see high school kids, you know, putting these earbuds in their ears and blasting them with loud music, going to these extremely loud concerts and stuff. I think even these performers you see, they all wear hearing protection. So it's extremely important, us as an audience, that we should also look after our hearing. If our hearing is good, we'll be able to enjoy it for a very, very long time. Otherwise, we may have hearing loss, we may have conditions like tinnitus and other issues, which will have quite detrimental impact on our quality of life, Rachel. Thank you, Raj. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much, Rachel, for this opportunity. It was lovely to talk to you. If you're a New Zealand primary care practitioner and would like to claim CME points for listening to this interview, fill in the Reflection of Learning form found on our website, and that's goodfellowunit.org. Thanks for listening.